This episode of The Rebuild is brought to you by MyBookie. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you would take that money. So why would you pick winners and not bet on them? That is literally pointless. That's why Blue Wire has partnered with MyBookie. It's fast, easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. So do the smart thing if you're going to bet this season on football, bet with MyBookie. Did you know that you can bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half, it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If your picks come through, you multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year to do it. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to activate that MyBookie offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. On to the show. Welcome in to The Rebuild. My name is Peter Moses. I am still not Jordan Zerm, much to some of your chagrin. Um, welcome back. This week we are going to be previewing the Browns versus the Rams on Sunday Night Football with Mac Robinson from the Orange and Brown Report. You can find his work at the Orange and Brown Report and on Twitter at Mac Robinson CLE. Uh, we had a really nice conversation, uh, kind of detailing the thousands of injuries on the Browns right now. But I wanted to give a shout out to someone who wrote a review on iTunes, as I said on the last podcast. If you Write a review. I will read it. So want to give big ups to Klee Sports Fan 24 who gave us one star and headlined it horrible. He wrote, please bring Jordan back. Awesome. Klee Sports Fan 24 uh, thanks so much for the review, dude. Um, I hope you're listening, and I hope someone, if you're not, knows you so that you can you know, listen to this awesome shout-out that you got. Keep the reviews coming, guys. I will read any of them any of them at all. But without further ado, let's get into some actual Browns talk. Um, here's Mac Robinson. All right. I would like to welcome to the show Mac Robinson from the Orange and Brown Report. You can find him on Twitter at Mac Robinson CLE. Mac, how you doing, dude? I'm good, Pete. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Hell yeah, man. About time I had someone actually in Cleveland other than <laughs> someone named Meredith on this show to give us a little bit of Brown's insight. Well, I mean, you're rolling with the the M kind of the the M first name, at least. So we're kind of keeping a thread going. Yeah, that's it. I only <laughs> work with people on this show whose first name starts with M. That's my that's my one uh, my one vibe. Yeah, man. So we'll talk today about the Rams coming to Cleveland. Uh, my local team. Uh, coming to face your local team and uh, would be a fun game. I feel like we don't have enough players to have a 53-man roster, so we'll see what happens. What's uh, How are you feeling early on? I guess it's Thursday now. How are you feeling about this game? It's going to be on Friday. I, I mean, I think it's really going to be interesting, and it's really going to be a barometer for this Browns team, mainly because of the fact that, I mean, like you mentioned, the injuries for the Browns are just – it. it it's a lot, honestly, just going into this. I mean, David Ajoku looks like he's going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, you had Morgan Burnett, who missed practice not only today, but also yesterday. Um, the bright side for the Browns, for sure, Higgins was coming back. But, 
I mean, just to go through the laundry list, I mean, you had uh, Chris Hubbard mispractice back-to-back days. Christian Kirksey looks like he's not going to play. Kendall Lamb also didn't practice the last two days. Demarius Randall also is still out with a concussion. Then you have our uh, our Darius Taylor, who's out for the last two practices. And then, I mean, Chris Smith obviously taking his time coming back uh, from dealing with his uh, the loss of his girlfriend. And in addition to that, too, Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams also got added to the injury report today. Uh, they were both limited in practice with hamstring injuries. And so, I mean, now that we got that out of the way, I don't know what's, I don't know what's longer. I mean, the wait time at the DMV or this injury <laughs> report, man, I don't know. It's, uh, this feels like midseason form for the Browns like 10 to 15 years ago in terms of injuries. It's alarming that it's happening so so quickly. And it's also never good to see both of your young starting cornerbacks get on an injury report on a Thursday with hamstrings. Feels like uh, not a good equation for going up against arguably one of the best offenses in the league, not named Kansas City Chiefs. Well, yeah, and especially too, I mean, at least with Kansas City, you kind of have to deal with, and I say this as a somewhat bright spot, but I mean, you've got Travis Kelsey across the middle, so it's not all on your cornerbacks, but when you've got Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, and even to Cooper Cup, who's coming off that ACL injury from last year, really, you have to have the the three cornerbacks, you have to be three cornerbacks deep in order to handle this wide receiving core. And especially with Sean McVay, I mean, you have to be ready to go. And if you've got injuries to Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward, I mean, Terrence Mitchell has to step up in this game. You have to make sure that TJ Carey is able to continue that success that he's had so far this season. And really, this is going to test the Browns, I feel, with their depth as well. I don't even remember if you said Demarius Randall wasn't practicing, but Uh, he's still in. He has not. He is still in concussion protocol. So I don't know what the standard is for how late people can get out of concussion protocol, but I imagine we would know something about that, you know, in the next day, in the next, probably maybe by the time you're listening to this. I think the thing that uh, also surprises me, and I don't remember this happening, maybe it's just because I have a terrible memory in my old age of 30-something, but, <laughs> like, w- they've kept Kendall Lamb's injury basically a complete secret. And the same with kind of even their wording with Kirksey, like, Kendall Lamb could have like a torn ACL and Kirksey could have a torn pectoral. And it seems like they're just, I don't remember Browns ever being as coy with this for injuries. Is that like, is this just becoming more common occurrence or like, what do you think is going on with these guys? I I mean, I I almost wonder if it's just a, a planning tactic for kind of making sure that your opponent necessarily isn't getting a hundred percent of the truth when it comes to it out through the media or or whatnot. I mean, you see it a lot of times from Belichick, uh, where you might not necessarily see him give you all the details, but he'll give you enough to where you know the the general uh, thoughts and general notes of the injury. But, I mean, like you said, with Kirksey, all of a sudden it seemed like all of a sudden now he's probably not going to play. With Kendall Lamb, we have no idea if it's, can he play this week? Can he play in three weeks? We have no idea when it comes to that. So really, it's been an interesting turn because of the fact that we haven't necessarily had that in recent years. It's also problematic, and I know that there are some people who are going to be listening to the last episodes of The Rebuild and like Peter, say, Peter, you're talking about Austin Corbett again. Get off of it. But Football has an amazing way, or the NFL season has an amazing way of kind of finding a team's weakness and exploiting it. And it doesn't seem 
like them, like it doesn't seem like they have any faith in putting him on the field at all. And with Lamb and Hubbard both going out or possibly not being there, and it looks like uh, Teller and Gray, is it it's Gray, right, from Green Bay? Yeah, McCray. Yeah, Gray. McCray, that's what it is, sorry. And McCray, McCray's probably going to start at right tackle. And it's insane to me that they're holding on to this roster spot. Like, I just want Austin Corbett to play. If he's good enough to play, then your basically first-round draft pick should be stepping in and filling in any position on the line before McCray, who you literally got from the Packers less than a week before our first game. And I I completely agree with that. I mean, I I was at training camp for a good amount of it, and seeing Corbett— I really wasn't all that impressed, to be honest. And really, it seemed like there were there were some days where he was getting overmatched, uh, and they would kind of put him at center. They would put him at right guard. If he wasn't at first string right guard, he was a backup center. And that was the thing was that you did you really saw him get any reps at right tackle. So I think that's where you're also seeing that a little bit. Um, but whereas McRae has experience across the line as a whole. Um, but really what I look at is the fact that Drew Forbes being placed on IR and that injury that he ended up having, I think that's what really ended up leading to a lot of the uh, concerns that we're seeing now with the offensive line. I think that if Drew Forbes was able to play, I think he probably would be playing by this point at least, and maybe being that reserve right tackle and you might see a Wyatt Teller be that backup right guard, and you wouldn't necessarily have to worry about an Austin Corbett, and you can have him focus on your being your backup center and have him try to develop there. I think that Drew Forbes is the one who really, if he was if he was healthy, I think he would be getting the start at right tackle. That is an amazing point because they made it through a relatively injury free preseason, but when Forbes went down in the fourth game, that was. That was really sad and like sneaky, sneaky big for them because all the coaches had him in his mouth. Like they were like, like everyone was talking him up and he really seemed to be kind of just growing quickly. And I think there's something to be asked is like, if you had to bet right now, do you think they're going to put Austin Corbett out there first? Or do you think Drew Forbes is going to be able to get back after the sixth week when he gets back and joins the team? Who do you think is going to see the field first? Because I feel like it actually could be Drew Forbes. I, I think it's going to be Forbes. I really do. Because, I, I mean, honestly, from what I've seen from Chris Hubbard, I, I haven't necessarily been super impressed, honestly. I know that the the stats are, say differently from him and everything like that and the next-gen stats and everything on PFF, but, I mean, I I haven't necessarily been the biggest Chris Hubbard fan, especially in Week 1, um, but I, I think that they're kind of banking on Drew Forbes being that guy who can either be the right guard of the future or especially with them being able to get Wyatt Teller, possibly having him be there, but then have Forbes possibly be that right tackle of the future and see if they can build from there. And I think that there's an easier path for Forbes to get there, whereas they gave Austin Corbett every opportunity to win that right guard spot in the preseason, and he did not come away with that. And it came from day after day after day of getting those reps in, and he did not impress. And that was the thing was, especially early on, it was people trying to keep an eye on, okay, how does he do it right guard? How does he do it right guard? Is it just the defensive line or is it the competition? And honestly, he just did not impress at all, really. John Dorsey has done an amazing job. That is the first thing that I have to say. But when your six-round draft pick is coming back from injury, and it is consensus from most people who follow this team with any, like, you know, 
with any bit of enthusiasm that like Drew Forbes is going to is just higher up on their priority list. Like and if that's the case, you're I, I, I just like I don't understand why they're holding on to Austin Corbett for anything other than pride right now. And it's even at this point proving to be a detriment because you're if you're not if you're not going to play him, you need to go find someone who you might as think about playing. And I, but it just feels like a pride thing right now, and I think it's fair criticism of Dorsey. Well, and, and I agree with you there, but the one thing I will say is that it wouldn't shock me if you see them trying to give him, and this is how it was kind of described to me a little bit as well, but possibly given the Cam Irving treatment, where he didn't have his value super high when they put him at guard and when they tried him out at center, where he just constantly got knocked on his behind over and over again up the middle. Uh, I just remember seeing the vines over and over again of him too. But I mean, seeing him go the worst, all of that- the worst of those vines. Hold on to that thought, because the worst <laughs> one is the one where he got hurt against Baltimore. Oh my god! I had a, a friend of mine who's a Cowboys fan who just for like two years would send me that every other week, and uh, it made me sad every time. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it makes me sad every time that that was the one that, that we took in the first round along with Danny Shelton, okay. But anyway, um, but yeah, so the one thing that I will say is that when it came to Irving, they didn't necessarily, they held on to him for a little bit, tried to build up his value slightly to get it to the point where they can at least get something back. Whereas last year you saw when it came to the Corey Coleman situation, it was just a situation of we need to get this guy out of the locker room, let's just go ahead and basically trade him off for a ham sandwich. So that that's where they're at, I feel like, is they're trying to build him up as a backup center and honestly maybe keep him off the field to kind of keep some of that mystique about him and have that potential being there. Whereas if he plays and if he doesn't play well, then all of a sudden it turns into, well, if he can't play at center and if he can't play at guard, where can he play? It is incredible to me that, just in another note, Cam Irving could potentially have a Super Bowl ring in eight months or six months. That is just I, – I, it's baffling to me. Well, uh, <laughs> it, it still shocks me that Barkevius Mingo got a ring before before any of these guys too. Ah, oh, listen, they deserved it. They had to put up <laughs> with all this Michigas too. No, I think uh, – yeah, it's uh, – yeah, they got to put – well, they just need depth. They just need depth on the offensive line right now. We'll get right back to Mac Robinson, but first, I'm going to tell you about Axios Sports. There are countless ways to keep up on what's happening in the world of sports, but how are you supposed to read every great article? How are you supposed to watch every awesome highlight without losing time in your busy day? Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is almost impossible at this point. So now, Blue Wire would like to introduce you to Axios Sports. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. Each morning, you'll see the best stories from around the sports world, from the NBA and NFL to niche sports like cricket and ping pong. The email newsletter highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up. Oh, and it's free. Sports.axios.com. Just head to sports.axios.com. It's clean, crisp, and gives you everything you need to know. Read it in five minutes on the elevator or discover a deep dive article while you're on the train to work or ferry or boat or whatever. However you get to work, you get into that deep dive. Not only will you be caught up, but you'll be that cool person sharing an amazing link with your friends and coworkers. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up 
on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Do yourself a favor, sign up now at sports.axios.com. That's sports.axios.com. And finally, this episode is also brought to you by Roman. Guys, you are all terrible at taking care of your health. Whether it's a knee, a bad back, or something worse, you are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. Uh, I'm guilty of it myself. I fell off a scooter recently, and it took me a good two months to make it to the doctor, um, which was not cool. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Not cool. Studies show that 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that the treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get it checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. All right, back to the show. Enough about our line troubles. I don't even feel like that's the worst of it right now. (laughs) Um, You've got Aaron Donald coming into town who uh, is going to be going up against our Lord and Savior, Baker, who has been holding on to the ball longer than almost any other healthy quarterback uh, in the league in, throughout two games. What is your uh, – uh, tell me of your fears and sorrows when thinking about um, Aaron Donald going up against our depleted line. Uh, yeah, this this was my nightmare in the offseason, to be quite honest. Um, well, now and- it's your nightmare today. Yeah, yeah, and that nightmare has really just continued to steamroll up until this point. Uh, but the thing is, is that, especially with Aaron Donald, I think that this is where, for the Browns, you need to get that up-tempo offense going. And that's the one thing that we haven't seen from Freddie Kitchen so far and from Todd Monken has really just been getting that up-tempo offense and really getting Baker into a rhythm offensively. It's been a lot of slow, methodical type of offensive plays and really... You didn't see that in that first drive, and even, too, going back to that first preseason game against the Redskins, where you saw that first-team offense outside of Odell and Jarvis, but they really were able to get into a rhythm, and you saw Baker really shine. You haven't seen that in the beginning of the in the beginning of the season. That could be a possible strength that you see them lean on, especially given the secondary that they've got with Eric Weddle, Marcus Peters, Nick, Nickel, uh, Roby Coleman and Aqib Talib as well. I mean, you've got the secondary members out there, so you're going to need to mix and match a little bit and maybe throw a couple of those quick passes like the one that you saw to Odell Beckham across the middle that ended up leading to that 89-yard touchdown. You were going back further and further, and I'll take you back the furthest, which was when Freddie Kitchens got to call plays in the fourth preseason game against the Lions last year with Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb. He had a tempo to his offense. It's worked every single time, They've they've done it. And, and it's not just like an up pace offense, but 
that's just like them throwing the ball everywhere. That includes getting up to the line and getting Nick Chubb, the rock, uh, with pace. It's it, That's been disappointing to me. I feel like I hope they've just been playing possum. and uh, But now I feel like they might have to just do it out of necessity because the only option they have is running the ball and tiring out uh, St. Uh, St. Louis. Oh my God, Los Angeles's <laughs> defense because they're a little bit older, and you know Aaron Donald can't sack you when you run the ball twenty five times. Just fucking run the ball, you know? Like, yeah. please, just run the ball. Why I, does everyone hate Nick Chubb when they become his head coach? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, other than the fact that I have him in fantasy, but I mean, other than that, like you, you honestly, I, I look back at that game against the Jets, and my biggest takeaway was. Why, why is the team not trying to run the ball to run the clock out? Like, it, it's such a simple concept, honestly, especially given the fact that, I mean, you're up by 20 against the Jets out of any team, too, and really, you don't want to have Baker Mayfield taking some of those hits. And so, a lot of it, I would assume, would be hand the ball off to Nick Chubb, start to hand the ball off and start to lean on him a little bit, take the pressure off of Baker Mayfield and allow him to go ahead, use that play action to go ahead and have some of those deep plays. But you saw them constantly going back to the passing game, and I really was questioning some of that play calling, especially down the stretch. And really, the second that you saw Nick Chubb getting hit, I'm just like, why don't you go ahead and get maybe Elijah McGuire a few carries or get... Uh, yeah, they knew Johnson. they were gonna. They knew they were gonna cut him. You might as well literally give carries to the guy who's not going to be on the team. Have him eat actual fucking hits. Exactly, exactly, and especially for the guy who actually knows the defense that he's going against. It's funny. I don't know if it's ironic, but maybe it's just frustrating. I feel like if they had kept Duke Johnson and just used him as much as they've been using Dernis Johnson and Dontrell Hilliard before he got hurt along with Nick Chubb, that would have been more useful. Like, I feel like Duke Johnson would have been pumped as hell and they would have even increased his value more because he would have been getting, at this rate, 15 touches a game, like passes and runs. I I think that, that I think that you're right to an extent, and I think that the one, the one thing when it comes to Duke Johnson is that I think he's a very talented player, but I also think that that role can easily be filled throughout the NFL. I mean, you've seen Ty Johnson in point. Detroit. That's a good uh, point. Yeah, he's a seventh-round pick in Detroit, and he's ended up taking on that that same Theo Riddick type of role that you've seen uh, in the past that he has dominated. All of a sudden, now that gets taken over. And even still, Dearness Johnson, or I'm sorry, Dontrell Hilliard before this year, has had, had more interceptions than he had rushing attempts going into the season. And so for for him, you saw some of that in the preseason a little bit, and obviously the coaching staff was really uh, impressed by what he was able to do. But at the same time, having him and then even finding a Dearness Johnson uh, coming out of the AAF, I mean, he really worked on his pass blocking. And I think that was the biggest thing is that having some of those backups that are able to help in the pass protection and also not necessarily have as much of the injury history as Duke Johnson had previously. That is a sneaky great point. Dearness Johnson picked up some blitzes from Greg Williams super nicely. Um, in Monday night's game. And I guess you're right. He's kind of like really good at something that is pretty interchangeable. And literally you can find someone from the AAF to basically do exactly what Duke Johnson was doing. Let's turn to the other side of the ball for a second with our defense and without a secondary and Kirksey right now. So potentially with maybe five of our initial starters, I imagine it's probably going to be closer to seven, but 
still going up against, uh, you know, a Rain Man, Sean McVay's offense. What are you looking for, and uh, what makes you so afraid? Uh, okay, so for me especially, l- like we've already talked about with the secondary, I- I'm nervous to begin with. I think that's going to be where we really see how good and how far along is Denzel Ward. How is Greedy Williams uh, progressing as a rookie? And this will kind of be their trial by fire, but I'm especially looking at the linebackers because, I mean, you look at Steve Wilkes' defense, he likes to run that 4-2-5 defense which, I mean, for as much pressure as it puts on the defensive backs, it also adds a ton of pressure on those two linebackers as well. And with Christian Kirksey being out, I'm really interested to see them. How do they utilize a Sione Takitaki as well as a Mac Wilson? And in addition to that too, especially with Ardarius Taylor being out, but in addition to that too, does Malik Jefferson get a little bit of play a little bit? It's um, funny, even be, even with Kirksey potentially being out, it feels like... Just from a total outsider's perspective, you would hope to see some more 4-3 just to take a little bit of the pressure off what you're asking from whoever's going to be healthy in your secondary. Well, and I would agree with you with that, especially because of the fact that, I mean, the one person that we haven't mentioned yet, Todd Gurley, uh, is somebody that is that you always have to watch out for, especially too, and even don't sleep on their back of Malcolm Brown, but, I mean, th- their running game is no joke, and so you really have to rely on the fact that you have for the Rams, they have those three receivers and they have the running game that you have to respect. So those DBs have to be able to cover those wide receivers while also having the linebackers able to step up and stop the run. And that was the one thing that I had with Mac Wilson in the preseason was that he's great in pass coverage. And I, I loved, and obviously you could see that with all the interceptions that you saw throughout camp and throughout the preseason. But the aspect that I saw with him was that when it came to the run game, there was a few times where he kind of got lost and caught up in blocks a little bit, um, but that's where he can kind of improve as the season goes on. But conversely, I think him and Taki Taki kind of merge together into that perfect balance that you want to see from from a linebacker, where you have Taki Taki bringing the physicality that you want to see. Maybe not necessarily have the the instincts right away in pass coverage, but he has the athleticism that you really want to see from that position. And so for him, as that kind of develops, that'll be what makes him into a complete linebacker. But he's a very good run defender and really good instinctually against the run. Conversely, like I said, Mac Wilson, good against the pass, struggles a little bit against the run. So you might be able to see them kind of balance it out by having both of those guys shoulder that load. I, they're both going to see some playing time for sure. I mean, Taki Taki's definitely going to see much more of the field with whatever the hell Kirksey has going on. Um, <laughs> it is not good. I feel like one of the biggest obvious, you know, this is pretty obvious, but if we have any shot in this game, Miles Garrett is going to have to do what he's done the last two weeks, which is just totally disrupt everything they've got going on. He needs at least two sacks just even to give them a shot. I mean, we really, you know, Freddie's bragged about our defensive line and they've played pretty well, especially last week. But if we have any shot, they need to completely be the focal point of our defense. Yeah, I completely agree. And the one thing I will say is that especially in kind of doing a little bit of, of research when it comes to watching the Rams and everything, and I got a chance to watch their game since the Browns are playing Monday night, I got to watch the rest of the league. So it was nice. But 
the one thing I will say is that don't be shocked if this is the Olivier Vernon game because, I mean, you have Andrew Whitworth on the left side, so he's obviously going to be a tough task when it comes to Miles Garrett. But with Rob Havenstein on the right side, he had a little bit of trouble with Cam Jordan coming off that the right side of the offensive line, left side of the defense. So it wouldn't shock me if you see Olivier Vernon, who was pressuring the quarterback a little bit last week. Obviously, the sacks ended up going towards Miles, but he helped collapse the pocket a lot. It wouldn't shock me if you end up seeing Olivier Vernon getting a little bit more production when it comes to that. And also, if you start to see a little bit more interior pressure when it comes to the when it comes to Sheldon Richardson as well as Larry Ogunjobi. Yeah, we uh we need them to step up because that's our only chance of masking everyone being injured behind them. It's uh <laughs> it's going to be an interesting one for sure. I think that's a really smart point about Vernon. He's uh he's been in and around almost every sack I feel like Miles has had anyways. So, it's funny to me how we can come off a 20-point win and not feel necessarily great and can be heading into a game where I really – the odds of us winning, I, I don't see a lot of pass to us winning at all, but I feel like we can definitely come out of this game with a loss feeling better than we did by beating the Jets by 20. Is that is that insane? Is that an insane thing to say? I don't think so. I don't think so because for, for as much as the – the Titans game was basically there to kind of damper our expectations a little bit, kind of bring us back down to reality as, you know, you had the hype of the offseason swelling up into the regular season. Then you end up getting into that week one game. Obviously, you take the loss to Tennessee, but then week two against the Jets, it literally, I, I kept on having people tell me if they don't win this game, it will be a detriment to this team. So, really, you had the expectation of, okay, well, you should have won that game anyway. And this is the first real test, I think, for this team where, okay, you're coming into this game. You're not supposed to win. How do you step up against the Super Bowl runner-up and especially, too, against an offense like this that you haven't really seen this year? Marcus Mariota and the Titans offense was not that great coming in. Obviously, they were able to exploit it. The Jets offense obviously down plenty of pieces on their own. So coming into this, you're going up against a high-powered offense, and you're going up against one of, if not the best player in the NFL in Aaron Donald. And how do you respond? How how do you get off to the how do you get off to a hot start? How does this team respond to some of the hits that are going to come from this Rams team? I think that you can learn a lot from this team, especially and a lot from this game this week, especially for the team. Yeah, I would be happy if their offense uh, – I'd be happy if Chubb ran the ball a lot even when they were losing. I think that's uh, – you know, there are plenty of things that we can f- all feel good about, um, and a lot of that is dependent on health, but I think we can all see a lot of things, like rooms to improve, and still be happy if they don't get the W. Um, Mac, dude, what can uh, people listening to this podcast read from you leading up to the game or after the game this week on the OBR? Uh, yeah, so us at the OBR, we always do game balls and goats, basically our winners and losers of the games. Uh, we do that every single week. I basically put out the post-game stories and everything like that as well, along with the rest of our great uh, group of writers over there as well, including uh, Jake Burns uh, from the Browns Film Breakdown podcast as well over there. Um, but but yeah, you guys can also find myself on Twitter as always, at MacRobinsonCLE, and follow me there. Very cool, dude. And what's your uh, what's your prediction? What do you think is going to go down? 
I, I think that it's going to be a close one. I, I got the Browns losing this one, but I think it's going to be closer than people think. I think it's going to be 31 to 27. Hell where yeah. I have, I have the Browns slightly losing, but this is going to be a tight one, and you're going to want to make sure that you're watching every single minute of it. If they score more than 21 points, no matter what happens, I'll be happy. That's my prediction. I would like to. I think they're going to the same as you. They're going to lose, but hopefully score like more than 24 points. That would be that would be good for all of us and good health to everyone around. Mac Robinson, thanks so much for joining me, dude. Uh, we'll check in with you again soon. Thank you very much for having me on, man. Peace. All right, guys, that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back with you Sunday night, late, late, late Sunday night, into the Monday morning after the Browns. Whoever's left on the Browns team, take on the Rams. Go Browns.